appreciate Ben for reading those, that scripture for us. I know each one of those descriptions of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ could fill a month of Sundays to just go into detail what it would be like to talk about Jesus and how wonderful he is and his abilities to be a counselor and being, in fact, part of that Godhead, being the mighty God and the everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. But in that passage in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, we see something that's up on his shoulder. And so we want to ask a question this evening, what was upon the Lord's shoulders? So as we get into this lesson this evening, I uh, want to take just a few moments to appreciate those that have come our way to be a part of our Sunday evening worship service, and especially those that are visiting with us. We see a, new, a few new faces that are out here. Uh, Mike Hickson is a regular minister, but he's out of town uh, this Lord's Day. And I'm feeling in for him uh, to help us in our worship service as we conduct our praise to our Heavenly Father. And as we would open up his word and, and learn more about his love for us and learn more about our Savior Jesus Christ and what he means to the world. Of course, in the Old Testament it prophesied about the Savior coming. And the New Testament reveals the fact that he has come and he was here. And he's back in heaven once again sitting at the right hand of God. But here in Isaiah chapter 9, it talks about the government being upon the Lord's shoulders. That in and of itself is a lot. To be able to carry out the laws that the government would enforce, and of course these laws would come from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it would be His Testament, His New Testament that would go forth. And so He established these laws, His apostles would carry out these laws into all the world, and thus we would eventually have the New Testament. And that New Testament was to be upheld and maintained. And also the rewards for keeping God's word would be presented. But also the consequences of not keeping his word. Not obeying his laws and not obeying his commandments. But we think about all of that that would be upon the Lord's shoulders. But before we talk about the Lord, just think about what we carry upon our shoulders from time to time. We may carry bags or boxes or maybe a a backpack upon our shoulder as we carry it around. We may transport it from one place to another. Uh, from time to time, we may put you know, little kids upon our shoulders. They may get tired of walking, and they want us to help them along the way, and so we may put them upon our shoulders. Or we may be out at an event, and these little fellas are just too short, and so in order to see what's going on, <clears throat> we would have to put them upon our shoulders as well. But then look at it from a different standpoint. There are those that have a chip upon their shoulders. And maybe you've seen some of these folks from time to time. And it seems like, you know, the, latest thing, let the, the smallest thing could tick them off. And they have an emotional, emotional outburst. And then we see the anger that they want to bring forth. And so sometimes, you know, folks that are around them or family members that are around people like that, it seems as though they walk around on eggshells. But we know some other folks that have a chip on their shoulder. It may be that, you know, they're always told they're not good enough. They're never going to make it in life. And sometimes we see athletes that are told this when they're very young, but they set out to prove individuals wrong. Or kids in the classroom are told, you know, it, I don't use the word dumb, I don't use the word stupid, but sometimes you may have some folks that use those terms in the classroom. And they tell these children, you know, you'll never amount to much. And so they put that kind of chip upon their shoulder and they set out to prove that I will learn, eventually I'll learn, and, and I'll become one of these intelligent people that's in the world, if not a scholar. And so we can think from time to time things that are upon our shoulders, upon the shoulders of others. But just think about what was up on the Lord's shoulders uh, when we read about him in the scriptures. If you're there in Isaiah 9, just turn several chapters ahead to Isaiah chapter 53. Because Isaiah wants to paint a picture 
in the mind of his readers, and also when he prophesied these words in the ears of those that were listening to him, as he writes concerning the hope that Israel could have, he says, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of the dry ground. He hath no form, no comeliness, that we shall see him. There is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Isaiah painted this picture in the mind of the people uh, during his time, about 750 years before Christ. Uh, those of us that are, are blessed with the New Testament scriptures as we read these words that were written 2,000 years ago concerning our time. But in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we can read about Jesus Christ our Lord going from place to place, town to town, city to city, uh, to carry the gospel of the kingdom, that it would be at hand, that his kingdom would be set up, his church would be set up. But as we know, when he went from town to town, it, it wasn't just preaching. When he went from town to town, he also performed miracles, what God sent him to do as well. And the miracles, of course, would confirm who he is, because some folks didn't want to believe that this man from Nazareth is the Savior, this man that didn't attend the schools that the Pharisees had, or he didn't attend the schools that the Sadducees set up, he didn't attend any of those schools, where did he get this authority? But Jesus, being the Son of God, and coming to die for the sins of the people, also performed miracles, and the miracles, of course, would verify that he's from God. And then as they continued to learn, they'd realize that he is the Son of God. And so the miracles that he performed that we can read of in the New Testament, he might heal someone of their illness, Peter's mother-in-law from her fever. Uh, he might heal those that had developed leprosy, whether it's just a few spots or full of leprosy, as we can read of in Luke chapter 5. Or a woman with an, a hemorrhage, an issue of, of blood for several years and going from doctor to doctor and not being healed and Jesus came along and she touched him of his garment and, and she was healed and, and no doubt all that pain went away and Jesus spoke to this woman here. And then we would read about Jesus raising people from the dead. I've heard the comment that every funeral service he attended, he interrupted. He raised those individuals from the dead. And we can read of some of these isolated instances in the New Testament where he would go to these households, whether it be Mary and Martha over the death of their brother Lazarus, and, and they were bawling and they were crying, and Lord, if he'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. And, and we read about Jesus crying, and, and those who had lost a daughter, and those who had lost a son, and felt like, I'm not even worthy enough for Jesus to come unto my household. And they would say, Jesus, just say the word, and, and I know my son will be healed. And they heard about the fame of Jesus, so we know he would go around. And he would be this burden bearer. So when we ask what was on the Lord's shoulders, you know, first of all, we see that he bore the burdens, the griefs, and the sorrows of many. And so in the New Testament, as I mentioned, we can read about these in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that he helped carry some of their emotional griefs and sorrows. He tried to, to comfort Mary and Martha that he is the resurrection and the life. You know, this life is not all that there is. There will be a resurrection one day. Families will be united and spend their eternity with the Heavenly Father. Uh, that sounds good, but at the time, their hearts were grieved. And Lord, if you'd have been here, he'd still be living. 
Well, yes, Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, but as we know, as time goes on, you know, as it's appointed unto man once to die, after that the judgment, death would come upon Lazarus once again. And again, Mary and Martha would need to be comforted if they outlived Lazarus. And so here's Jesus trying to help carry, you know, their emotional griefs and their emotional sorrows as well. Uh, just think about families today. Uh, we know of households, you know, if you're just involved in social work or in hospitals, uh, you see folks that are burdened down with griefs and sorrows because of physical pain and physical illness and chronic illnesses and, and cancer and so forth. And we have several you know, members of our congregation here that continue to go through that daily. And, and we think of, of the burdens that the Lord is willing to bear even today, but not just the Lord, other brothers and sisters in Christ uh, as we help to minister one toward another. But even in our household that we have throughout this area of the United States, it's not just griefs and sorrows, but just think of some of these dysfunctional households. Uh, sometimes a father's nowhere to be found. Sometimes a mother's not even anywhere to be found. Sometimes kids are left to raise themselves. And we know that there's burdens placed upon some of these little children to try to figure out how to, how to live and how to exist day by day. These dysfunctional families. Think about some of these other families. You know, where divorce just tears a family apart. You know, husband and wife think that, well, we can't, you know, live together any longer. We're incompatible, and they try to work it out. And sometimes the victims are the children. They're the ones that suffer the most. You know, I heard a commercial one time, and they thought it was funny. This woman is looking for this man to have a relationship with, and, and she's saying, you know, is, is this the one that I want my children to visit every other weekend? You know, some folks will laugh at that. I, I don't think it's kind of funny. And they're thinking, well, I just want someone to satisfy my needs and my desires right now, maybe even satisfy need even to having a child, but not even wanting a spouse around and letting that child, you know, have visitation rights every other weekend. Uh, some folks think that's funny, or they think that's a lifestyle that, that is uh, accepted in the United States. But yet in God's sight, it's one man with one woman for life. Genesis 2.24 and also in Matthew 19 and verses 1 and following. God's view of marriage was that one man would be with one woman for life. But even during the Old Testament times, Jesus talked about a writing of divorcement that Moses gave in Matthew chapter 19, and he said it's because of the hardness of your hearts. You have these folks that would get into a relationship, and if it doesn't work out, they'd get out. You have marriage uh, wedding rings that could be bought, but you have some uh, of these places that will go ahead and rent wedding rings. You know, it may not last that long. At least you won't have to pay the full price. And you can just rent it month after month. But you see, in God's sight, he knew what marriage was to be like. He knew the beauty of marriage, and he set the guidelines as well. But unfortunately, and, and we know sometimes divorce happens. And then you have those folks that try to, you know, be right in God's sign once again if they can't, you know, uh, work out their differences. You know, as Paul would point out in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, about being single, about being married, and if you're married and you can't get along, about being separated. And so Paul would give the guidelines uh, in those passages when it comes to that kind of relationship. Uh, be separated for a while, work out your differences, and then get back together. And, and so you would have God that would talk about how a marriage ought to be, and his guidelines are in the scriptures. But we know, even though God shows the beauty of marriage, sometimes folks set God's word aside, and their families become dysfunctional. Divorce may enter into that family as well. Uh, and then, of course, you have the counseling that would come 
Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Notice Isaiah described the Lord as being wonderful counselor. Some translations put those two words together. In my King James Version, I have a comma. But in some versions, they put both of those words together. He's a wonderful counselor. It doesn't matter whether he's a counselor or not, we know he's wonderful. And if he is a counselor, we know his advice is very wonderful as well. And so here's our Lord bearing the burdens of, of these families that were dysfunctional, these families that were separated, uh, these families who had family members that were dying, or even death that came upon some of these folks, that Jesus was there to help carry their burdens. If you have your Bibles, look at Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. passage very familiar to many of us. And when Jesus went from town to town, and there were synagogues in these cities, there were religious leaders in those cities. Part of their work was to minister to the folks that were a part of their synagogue. We use the word congregation. Uh, but Jesus looked around and he saw a lot of sheep, but no adequate, no scriptural shepherds taking care of these individuals. And so he would tell these folks, Matthew 11, verse 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. See, when we look at our Savior, He is a burden bearer. He invited people to come to Him. He invited people to be yoked together with Him so that He can help them along the way and help carry their grief and their sorrow and their burdens. Notice also, if you would, if you're there in Matthew, look at Matthew chapter 20. Not only is he a burden bearer, but look at him as being a cup bearer. I know sometimes it's a play on words and we don't carry a cup on our shoulder, but a cup is symbolic of something. And Jesus tells us, at least gives us a little bit of a hint as to what's going on. In Matthew chapter 20, beginning at verse 17, And Jesus going up to Jerusalem took the twelve disciples apart in the way and said unto them, Behold, we go to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed into, unto the chief priest and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death. They shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him, and the third day he shall rise again. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him, and he said unto her, What wilt thou? And she said unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on the right hand and the other on the left, in thy kingdom. But Jesus answering said, You know not what you ask. Are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of, and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they say unto him, We are able. He said unto them, Ye shall drink indeed of the cup, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, and it shall be given to them of whom it is prepared of my Father. And so here's Jesus talking about his death, and Jesus would talk about his death from time to time, and the apostles knew when he died, somebody needs to take his place. Even the mother of James and John knew when he died, somebody needs to take his place. John and James and Peter and Andrew, these individuals had great leadership skills and leadership abilities. But to beat perhaps Peter and Andrew to the punch, she asked for her son, her sons, James and, and John, to sit on his right hand and on his left. And Jesus said, that's not mine to give. But notice Jesus talked about a cup of, that he needed a drink of. 
and he talked about a baptism that he needed to be baptized with. Now, we don't know how long the mother of James and John lived, but when we read in Acts chapter 12, James' life came to an end. You know, not of old age, not of, you know, natural causes. Uh, he was put to death by Herod. And so I know there was some grieving going on within that family. Now, John lived to be a, a ripe old age in his 90s, if not 100 years old. But we might say, well, that's great. Well, in one sense, it's great because as John would do, he would continue preaching and teaching all the way up until the time that he died. And so this old man on the Isle of Patmos was able to get this vision that became our book of Revelation, God's last inspired book of the New Testament. But during that span of time, it's not easy to watch family members die or to be put to death in the case of these apostles and these other apostles that they love. It's not easy to watch church members die. So if you live to be that ripe old age, you see a lot of folks passing away. You know, a lot of burdens that needed to be borne by other members of the body of Christ. And, and so Jesus said to James and John, are you willing to drink of the cup that I'm going to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with? Well, while they're thinking about these leadership abilities, they're saying yes. But then reality set in later on. And so Jesus knew these apostles giving their life for God would go through suffering as well. But then we focus upon Jesus Christ being that cup bearer, that cup that he had to drink of, that baptism that he had to be baptized with. You see, it's beyond our comprehension, the emotional burden that Jesus had to bear when he drank of that cup. One being separated from the Father that he was never separated with throughout eternity. And the other as we think about the physical beatings that he would have to endure. And we have soldiers that we're thankful of that, that they know if they go into such a country they may be captured, they may be tortured, they may be beaten, they may be put to death. But they're willing to do that for our country. And here Jesus being God in the flesh he knew exactly what would come upon him. But see he was willing to do that anyway. And so he talked about a cup that he had to drink of. Even a cup that he prayed about in the, in the garden. Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. Something that he did not want to endure if it was left up to him. But Jesus knew he came to fulfill the will of the Father. And so he put it in the Father's hands. And then Jesus, being strengthened after his prayers, went on to carry out God's will. And so upon the cross, yes, he would be separated from God. He would cry out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But as we know also upon that cross, he would be going through the suffering that we know of for six hours. Sometimes six hours is not a long time. But if you've been beaten as he was, blindfolded and hit in the face, beaten with a, uh, a reed that they put in his hand and then took it from him and beat him with it. And then of course the scourgings that he had to undergo. Under the old law in the Jews religion, it was 40 stripes. But the ones that beat Jesus weren't Jews. They were Romans. They didn't sit there and count one, two, three, four. They wanted to scourge an individual to the brink of death. Of course, they didn't want to kill the individual. If they did, then they might say, well, so what? But a part of the, the sentence for being a criminal was scourge them and let them carry their own cross to their place of crucifixion. And so they wanted to get them to the brink of death. And so we knew they, they had no compassion upon a Jew. The Gentiles had no compassion upon Jesus. And so he was scourged. And we'll talk about him carrying that cross in just a few moments. But that amount of suffering, not to mention being nailed to the cross and hanging there for six hours, 
Yes, it was a baptism as he called it. And so it's more than just a cup that we think of. Jesus was baptized with, some, with suffering. He was immersed in suffering, to use that symbolically and figuratively. But physically, he went through it, as we know, for each and every one of us. So what was upon his shoulders? He's carrying the burdens and the griefs and the sorrows of mankind. This cup of, of suffering that he had to endure, he's carrying. But a third thing would be Jesus being that cross-bearer. Perhaps you're still there in Matthew. Notice Matthew chapter 27 and verse 32. Matthew 27 and verse 32. Of course, Jesus had gone through the beatings and the scourgings, and his sentence was to be crucified. In verse 32, and they came out, and they found a man of Cyrene, or Cyrene, Simon by name, and him they compelled to bear his cross. But as we read through the scriptures, we see what Mark had to say about it, and then we see what Luke had to say about it. When Luke describes Simon of Cyrene, a Cyrenian, he was, to com he was compelled to bear this cross after Jesus. And he might just use common sense. The criminal was to carry his own cross to the place of crucifixion. Jesus and the beatings that he underwent was not physically able to carry his own cross to that place of crucifixion. But he did help carry his cross to the place of crucifixion. Simon was compelled to help him as well. And then we see, you know, the praise that God gave to this individual. He didn't just say a certain man. He mentioned him by name. And then the other gospel writers mentioned family members. And no doubt they took pride if they became members of the body of Christ. You know, that was our relative that helped this Savior carry the cross to this place of crucifixion. While you had the people spitting on him along the way or trying to knock him down, whatever it was to mock our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But indeed he was a cross bearer and Jesus Christ made it to that place of crucifixion. Notice something else, not just a burden bearer, a cup bearer and a cross bearer, but Jesus Christ was that sin bearer. Turn back in the Old Testament if you would, back to Isaiah chapter 53. We read verses one through four. In Isaiah 750 years before Jesus Christ was born into this world showed us what this man was to undergo and what this man was to be like. And so picking up at verse 5, Isaiah says, Isaiah 53 verse 5, but he, we know him as Jesus, he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? He was cut off out of the land of the living, and for the transgressions of my people was he stricken. He, was, he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. We notice again, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, for he had put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And again, Isaiah tells us, he, he shall see the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By the knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. 
Therefore will I divide a portion with the great, and he shall divide his spoil with the strong, because he had poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sins of many, and made the intercession for the transgressors. You know, several times Isaiah tells us, he bore our sins. And so we think about Jesus Christ being the sin bearer. You know, it, it's hard for us to imagine what this really means. When we look at ourselves as individuals, we know how we sin from time to time. We know how we fall short. If we're part of a family and a husband or a wife, you think about, you know, the burdens that the family has to undergo, but then sometimes sin enters into that family. And then you have the sins in, in, in that particular family. If you look at a congregation, just imagine, you know, what's upon the shoulders of the elders. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13 talks about elders as, as we pray. And we want to do it with joy and not with grief. And the Hebrew writer said, that's unprofitable for you. And so prayers go up daily, you know, for members of the body of Christ. And you just think about, you know, the, the sins that may enter into the families within the congregation. But here's the Lord. It, it, it's part of his church. And he's bearing their sins as well. But not just the congregation. Think about a community and a city and a state and a country and all the countries that we have and the entire world. And so when Jesus went to the cross to bear the sins of many, uh, it wasn't just you know, a few folks or a few thousand folks or even a few million folks. The sins of many, we look at humanity in our day and time as being between six and seven billion people. Now we know a lot of those are our children. But yet sin enters into the heart of individuals who transgress the law of God. But Jesus was willing to go to the cross for our sins. And so when he had done that, he had on his shoulders the sins of all of those, you know, who were living at his time going all the way back to Adam. He had on his shoulders the sins of those that were living during that present time. He even had on his shoulders the sins of humanity from that present time, even up until our day, even into the future. Now, we can't comprehend all of that, but being God, uh, part of the Godhead, God the Son, he can comprehend all of that. And so when it comes to the sins of humanity, it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, only one sin that I can read of in the scriptures that, that can't be forgiven. And that's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Jesus said you'll never be forgiven in this life nor in the life to come. But that sin is of such a state that they do, they do not care about God truly, or the Holy Spirit, or Jesus as being the Savior of mankind. So it's a heart that will not change and will not repent because it's set in their ways and their ways being against God and against the Holy Spirit and against Jesus Christ our Lord. But a heart that would repent is the heart that Jesus Christ is talking about. And so when Jesus would want this invitation being spread throughout all the world, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So when folks look at their life and the sin that they have, you know, and they hear about the cross, ask yourself a question. What sin of yours were upon the Lord's shoulders when he went to the cross? I can think of the sin that I'd committed, and I know you can think of the sin that you've committed, but sometimes do we make it so personal that we look at Jesus going to the cross and he carried my sins with him to the cross? And then, you know, if we're married and we have family, not just my sins, but my spouse's sins and our children's sins to the cross, our family's sins. You know, we're thankful that Jesus Christ went to that cross. And in Hebrews chapter 12, the joy that was set before him endured the cross. 
Like soldiers that we have in our military today, they don't look forward to being beaten and tortured and then killed. Jesus didn't look forward to that. He knew that was part of the sacrifice, but he, what he looked forward to was a joy afterwards where the sins can be forgiven with his precious blood that would be shed. And so there was joy that was set before him. And he endured all of this, and we ask the question, why? It's love beyond our comprehension. It's grace and mercy beyond our comprehension. But Jesus Christ did that for us. And so what was upon the Lord's shoulders? Bearing the burdens of many. This cup bearer. This sin bearer. This cross bearer. But let's make it personal once again. Are you here tonight and you had sins that you went to the cross for, but, but you haven't repented of those sins? You haven't even put your faith in Jesus as being the Son of God? You haven't even opened up your mouth and confessed Him as being the Son of God? And maybe this is the first time that you've heard about Jesus. We don't know. But if it is, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in our New Testament, you can read about the Son of God, how He came to this world, how He lived among men, how He lived without committing one single sin, how he went to the cross and how he died there and how he shed his precious blood. And when he wanted the gospel priest, and the gospel simply means good news, this is the good news about what Jesus had done for humanity. But more specifically, his death and his burial and his resurrection. He rose from the grave. He ascended up in heaven. He's sitting at the right hand of God. And Jesus wanted this good news preached. But not just preached, he wanted people to believe it. So in Mark 16, when he told the apostles, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And so how can I be saved? By hearing this good news and by believing and by being baptized. That's what Mark recorded of what the Lord had said. Luke records repentance and remission of sins in Luke 24 and verse 47. And so the folks that, that hear about Jesus dying for their sins, all of their sins, and all of their sins can be forgiven, the command is to repent of those sins. And also to confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Romans 10, 9 and 10, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So you have belief, you have repentance, you have confession, and you also have baptism. Why baptism? I don't know why folks argue against it today. It's over a hundred times in the scriptures. You can go to the scripture and you can see what the Bible says about baptism. If the Lord says, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, that would be enough for me. But some other folks come along and say, that's not necessary. Well, who said it's not necessary? Jesus didn't. If you want to be saved, you need to be baptized. And on the day of Pentecost, they asked what to do. Peter said, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promises unto you and your children and all that are far off. Those that gladly received his word were baptized. Acts 2 and verse 47. Those who were baptized were added to the church by the Lord. Acts 2 and verse 47. And so you see the importance of hearing, believing, repenting, and baptizing. Uh, confessing Jesus Christ as being the Son of God. But if you haven't known that, you haven't done that, we want to encourage you to do that. Perhaps you've already done that and you are a child of God, you are a Christian. Maybe you've drifted away from Jesus, but been brought back to reality by the Scriptures, by the Word of God, on, uh, on the cost of your sin and the Savior's blood. And so being a child of God, if, if sin is in your heart, and we want to encourage you to repent of that sin. Uh, you can confess that sin and we can offer our prayers to our Heavenly Father. And as Mike would always say, we're not here to hurt you, we're here to help you. It is the Lord's family, and we'll want to treat you in such a way that you're glad to be here and that your sins or your burdens can be lifted. So if we can help you in any way, won't you come while we stand and while we sing? There's a fountain free kiss.